Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here, man. What an exciting Sunday last Sunday was, amen? Do you guys get to be a part of that? I mean, if you didn't, you really need to go back and check it out on the YouTubes because it was an incredible Sunday for us to be able to just talk about everything um, that we've done in the last two years in this journey that we've called beyond for us to be able um, to, you know, help our partners by, you know, helping them financially, but also being able just to support them in a lot of different ways and just to kind of show the kind of church that we are. So it was a fantastic church. It was a fantastic milestone for us last week. And so, uh, but as we look at the future, what we know about last week is that last week was a milestone for more. It was a milestone for more. You know, we really believe that, man, that God has just aligned resources and opportunities for us and people um, that we're just going to see more marriages restored. Amen. We're going to see more dead people come to life. We're going to see more people in darkness find hope. We're going to see more students find purpose that we really believe God has given us a mission and he's given us a vision for that. And that kind of leads us into this series of talks today that we're going to launch into called Jesus People. Let me hear you say Jesus People. Jesus People. And as we look at what it means to be a Jesus people, to be a Jesus people as a church, we have to be Jesus persons as people, right? Like we have to individually be the kind of people that Jesus would want us to be. And so we're looking at this idea of culture. Like what does it look like? How does it feel? You know, when you have culture, it's how you behave. It's the words that you use and the language that you use. That's the, that's the culture um, that, that someone has. Like, like all of us have cultures in our homes, right? Like you have a culture at your house. It's the things that you celebrate. It's the things that get attention, the things that get noticed. It's the things that get discouraged. And, and so we all have a culture, you know, maybe for you, if you have kids, you have a culture of you get $100 if you, make a, if you make an A. Anybody got that culture in their house? Yeah, I didn't either. It was, and that's why I can afford my cars now. But, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have a culture maybe celebrating sporting events. Or maybe you have a culture of watching sporting events. Or maybe you have a culture of, you know, reading your Bible and praying with your kids before they go to bed. You know, culture are just the things that we do and the way that it feels. And we just want to kind of talk about the culture um, that God is creating here and what we really see. And we, we have 10 culture statements. We're just going to talk about one today. Aren't you glad? Somebody say yes. Um, but we have 10. I just want to kind of briefly do a high flyover. The first one is Jesus is our message. I don't think anybody's shocked at that one. Jesus is our message. We are a Jesus church. We are a Jesus people trying to tell people the Jesus story. Like this is who we are. And this is the one we're going to talk about today. Jesus is our message. Our second one is love is our language. You know, without love, everything we do is just a, it's just a loud gong. It's just a noisy symbol. You're just, you're just making noise if love is not your language. You know, adventure is our attitude. We have a bias towards action. You know, if we see a door, man, we want to run through it. If we, do, if we see a closed door, we want to try to kick it down. Like we just have a bias towards action. This is the kind of people we are. That's why I preach with my, with my sleeves rolled up. This because this is, we're, we're getting to work up here, right? Um, we, we value equipping over entertaining. We value equipping over entertaining. Listen, I love for you to laugh at me. That's awesome. Makes my day. But that's not why I'm up here. Like it's for us to be able to take our faith and make it practical on a daily level. Like, how do we live out our faith? This is the kind of church that we are. It's a little more nuts and bolts. Sometimes it's a little more gritty. Adventure is our attitude, our equipping over entertaining. Hey, fun is fundamental. You know, you gotta be able to have fun. How many of you grew up in a church that was no fun at all? So like a lot of people, a lot of people, and that's not to be critical because even then you learn some things that laid a foundation. But one of, one of the commitments we have is that, that church doesn't have to be boring, that church can be fun. Now there are times it, needs, it always needs to be meaningful 
It always needs to matter. But hey, we can laugh. And we want our kids to have fun. That's why we have camp. That's why we, you know, do the things that we do in our kids' environments. We want them to have fun. Because the kids that doesn't have fun in church, guess what they do when they go to college? Yeah, exactly. Fun is fundamental. Some of y'all did that. That's why you're like, don't say it out loud, Stephen. Uh, fun is fundamental. Um, we, we value the now generation. We value the now generation. And we believe the now generation is the church of today, not just the church of tomorrow. Because we know that the church is always one generation away from becoming extinct. And there is no plan B. So we invest in our kids and in our students and we train them up. We pray for them. We, we empower them and we let them do meaningful ministry. We also believe that we're better together. We're better together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to far, go far, go together. We go together. Generosity is golden. It's your superpower. Everybody wants to be known as a generous person. Sometimes we just don't know how to do that. And we just have to un- learn how to unfold our lives for others. Life is better lived when it's lived for other people. You know, we also bleed boldness. You know, we want to we talk about things that matter. We want to be aggressive in the steps that we take. We bleed boldness. And passion is our posture. Listen, we don't want to be more excited about Georgia beating Alabama in the national championship game than we are about Jesus. Amen, somebody? <laughs> and so Jesus is our message. Hey, let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. As you're turning to that, um, or grab your app or whatever it may be, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 1. You know, it doesn't really matter where you are in your journey today uh, as, as we get into culture. Because you may be thinking, ah, oh, this is about your church and what you're doing. Actually, it's not. Um, this is just about the type of church that reaches people like maybe you who are searching, exploring, questioning, and you're kind of in the early part of the journey of what it means to understand who Jesus is and really what, what do people believe about him and what kind of life did he live. So this is a great series for you to be at. You may be hearing like, you know, your neighbor told you to come and see and you came to see. And so we're, we're really excited that you're here. Also, you may be in that phase of life. It's just, you just, you just kind of complacent. Ever happened to anybody? Just kind of go through the motions. You may get up and do a few Jesus things. You may read your Bible. You may show up to church, but really there's just no fire in you, no passion, no purpose. This is going to be a great series to just breathe some life into you. And it may be, it may be that like you're, you know, in the seventh heaven, you are so close to God. You feel like you got the red phone. He answers every, every prayer you throw up there. That may be you today. I would love to talk to you after service. Um, Colossians chapter one. Now what's really cool about this and is a guy named Paul wrote this and it's a letter. Okay, it's a letter to a church in the city called Colossae. It's a church that Paul started. And so Paul has now, uh, you know, he's off starting more churches and he hears about um, some false teaching that's happening in this church. And the false teaching basically is some teachers have come in and says, hey, we, we've got a better way to do this. We've got some extra insight. We've got some extra understanding. And, and, and Paul comes in to write them a letter. Like it would be like me writing a letter to our Elevate City campus. Hey, we understand there's some things you, got, you need to straighten out. There's some things you need to recalibrate on. And I would write them a letter. So I, this is like Paul has written a letter to us, to Stone Creek Church, for our future and for what God has in store for us to accomplish. Paul has written this letter to us. And so he starts out the letter by offering up this prayer for, for the people in this church. And then he begins to unpack who Jesus is. Like his, this is the quintessential passage on the understanding of who Jesus is. And it is rich. It is rich. It's a, it's a little bit like eating cheesecake for dessert. You just can't finish it all. It's just so rich. So what I want to do today is just, I want to boil it down to five words. It's a little bit of an oversimplification, 
But I think what it'll do is it'll give us some handles to understand, number one, why Jesus is our message with these five words. And then we'll talk about how he's our message and how we live that out. So the first word is first. Jesus is first. Jesus is also last. Jesus is also best. Jesus is also most. And finally, Jesus is also a must. And he's first, he's last, he's best, he's most, and he's a must. And as I walk through this passage, I'm going to kind of point out the areas where these words would come from, and then I'm going to kind of go back and teach through them. So let's start. Colossians 1, we're going to be in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. First. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, most. He is before all things, first, and in him all things hold together. He's last, everything's pointing towards him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, first, that in everything he might be preeminent. Oh, he's best. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell most. Through him, to reconcile to himself all things, all things most, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's best. And you, who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled, best, in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Last, finality. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, must, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. And so you see how these words are kind of woven in there. And so the sermon's over. Let me pray. Um, so now let's just unpack what that looks like and how we can practice that on a daily basis. You know, when, it, when he starts out by saying he is the firstborn of all creation, and he's not, he's not saying that Jesus was created. Jesus has always existed. Jesus is the, the, the force of creation. What, what Paul is using here is monarch language, royal language. So the, his point here is that he's over creation. He's the king of creation. He's the prince of creation. He gets to call the shots in our lives because he's the firstborn of creation. He's ruling over everything. He is the firstborn of all creation and that we, we should always put him first because that is his rightful place. This is why Jesus is our message because Jesus is first. You know, in verse 18, it says that he is the head of the body the church. He's the head of the body, the church. Now let's unpack this one just a little bit. So there's some images, some metaphors in the Bible for the church. And obviously this one, this one is that he's, it's the body. It's, it's Jesus' body. And there's other ones like the bride of Christ and some different things. But, but the church, me and you, this collection of people, you know, individually as local churches, but also globally, is the church is, it's the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. Sean mentioned this just a minute ago. We're his hands and feet. And so when, when, when Jesus was here, people saw him in the flesh. But now that he's not here, what they do is they see what his people do. So, so we're not an organization that just goes and cleans up parks because it's good for our city. Or we go and help kids read so that they can get a job. 
We, we do those kind of things so that we can have this opportunity for people to see who Jesus is. Amen, somebody? Like we want people to see Jesus and his beauty and his majesty because he is first. He's the head of the body, the church. And listen, the church, some things about the church, the church gets a bad rap in my mind, if I'm just being honest. And maybe it's because I lead one, uh, but I feel like we get a bad rap. But let's just think about the value of the church. Number one, the church has stood the test of time. Like for thousands of years, the church has marched forward. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it because Jesus has instituted and given it to us. And even through sinful leaders and through people who fail and from wrong decisions and from bad press and from culture that's against it, the church continues to march. The church continues to grow because the church is the body of Christ. You know, if you... If, you, if you've ever volunteered for a charity, charities were actually started by the church. In the Roman world, when Jesus was, you know, around Jesus' time, charities didn't exist. There was no safety net for those who were poor, for those who had special needs. There was no safety net. And they just were basically left on the street to die. But the church came along and began to establish organizations to help people. Like, this was the church's job. And so the church also... They also founded most of the hospitals. Have you ever noticed why, how hospitals have denominational names on there? Any of your kids born in a denominationally named church, right? Like two of my kids, my, my middle two were born at Harris Methodist Hospital. My oldest was born at Dallas Presbyterian Hospital. And my, my firstborn, my oldest, my daughter, she was born at a country club hospital, which is why she's wild. But um, no, she's awesome. Kidding. She's watching. I know you're watching me. Love you. Um, <laughs> so this is the church. This is the church. And Jesus is first. And the church is the body of Christ. This is why Jesus is our message, because he is first. And he's got to be first for you. Got to be first for you. Like, like when you wake up in the morning, what do you think about first? When you, when, when, you, when you have a decision to make, maybe there's a job opportunity, maybe there's a financial decision, maybe there's a relational decision. Like, like how do you make those decisions? What is first for you? What is first for me? Ask yourself that question. If you just evaluate your heart today. Again, we're equipping over entertaining. What is first for me? Jesus. Jesus should be first. He's also, he's also most. In verse 16, it says that by him... All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, rulers, dominions, authorities. Everything was created for him and through him. Like Jesus created everything. He's most. Everything comes under that umbrella. He is the key to creation, right? Jesus unlocks the mysteries of life. So, so if you want to ask yourself the question, why am I here? What's my life about? Areas where you're confused, you know, understanding and maybe you have this stirring, this haunting in your soul that there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more than I'm living, man. There's something that I, that's out there for me that, that I'm supposed to make a difference. I know I'm here for a reason. He's the key to understanding your life. This is, this is Jesus because he is the, he's the agent in creation. Man, he is most. He covers everything. He unlocks all the mysteries of your life. Verse 17 says he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Everything falls apart without Jesus. He is a couple things on this. Number one, he's timeless. Like we never outgrow the gospel. Have you noticed that we tend to think that we're going to get real sophisticated 
We're going to evolve to a place where, you know, we're always evolving it. You know, people believe to something better and something, something greater that, you know, we're becoming a more sophisticated uh, culture and uh, people because of our technology. Let me just say one word to you, Ukraine. That should say enough. Man, the, the corruption that we see in people, the, 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 the evil that happens in the world. See, we're not moving to be more unified and more developed and better. We're actually devolving into more chaos, which is what the Bible teaches us will happen in the last days. And I'm about to tell you when the last days are. Just kidding, because that's not our message today. And nobody knows the answer to that. Just trying to bring you back in. But, you know, I mean, we feel like that things are getting better when they're not. Jesus holds all things together, right? This is because people get away from him and then their lives tend to fall apart. Now, the other thing about him, he's, he's timeless, but also, um, man, he, everything, 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 nothing outgrows him. And we, 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 our lives begin to come together as we live for him. Everything comes together in the person of Jesus. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. Think about creation for a second. So we're, we're on this planet. It's roughly spinning around the earth, uh, the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. It's spinning around its own axis at about 1,000 miles an hour. And it has to be just the right speed or what happens, it just flings us all off. It, it helps have gravity. Man, our oxygen and carbon dioxide balance is so perfect. So from a, from a global standpoint, he's holding all that together in, in, in perfect harmony. In our bodies right now, Jesus is doing that. You know, if you think about how our blood carries, our oxygen, carries oxygen to our cells and how our lungs scrub all the poison out and how our systems work and the fact that we see an image but our lens has it upside down and it makes it to, the, you know, to, to, your, to your retina and to your optic nerve and it makes it right and gives you colors. Like, it's pretty amazing and it's mind-blowing. Like, nobody in the room could do that. Jesus is doing that. Because why? Because he's most. He's holding all things together. And in verse 20, we want to talk about how he's last. He's last. In verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so reconcile just means he's returning it to the state of harmony. He's returning it to its intended position, its intended place, its intended creative agency. Like that is what Jesus is doing. He's reconciling everything. So, so what this means is that he is the termination point for creation. He is the termination point to all of creation. Everything is moving towards him. Everything is going to find its reconciliation in him. Now, I have a problem with everything terminating on Jesus, don't you? Because everybody in the room, you know where you want life to terminate? on you, right? Like we're Toby Keith. I want it to be about me and mine. and oh my, 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 my. I want what I like, what I think, what I believe, what I want. Like we want life to terminate on us because we, we, want, we want our comfort. We want our agenda. That, that's, that's the way we're created as selfish human be beings. And I think we realize that that's a terrible way to live, even though we continue to fall into that. Like if you're married, you know what terrible way to live is to think that your marriage should terminate on you, that should be about you. Because what ends up happening it, everything doesn't work out the way you want it. It's like, ah, wait, I didn't get my needs met. I'm not happy right now, even though I may be the problem. I'm going to see if there's greener grass somewhere else. We do this in parenting. We do this in jobs. And we want life to be about us. We want life. To, we, want, we want to be the one that's high and lifted up in our own lives. 
And Jesus should be the terminating point. You know, life is a lot easier when you know the end game. Like if you have a project at work and you know what your goals are and you can move towards that destination, it makes life a lot easier, makes your work a lot easier when you know what the, what the win is. And so when we can begin to understand that the win is Jesus, it's going to make life come together. You know, Da Vinci, when he painted The Last Supper, I think we have a picture of that. When Da Vinci painted The Last Supper, um, in the original painting, Jesus is in the middle and he was holding this beautiful goblet. And so one of his friends comes to Da Vinci and he, and he comments on the beauty of the goblet that Jesus was holding. And so later on, the friend comes back and he sees the painting and it looks more like this. And Da Vinci had painted out the goblet. And the friend asked Da Vinci, like, why did you do that? And he said, because of your comment, I don't want anything to distract from Jesus being at the center. See, he, he's the terminating point. It's supposed to be about him. And so we should have nothing in our life that's going to distract from that. Jesus is first. He's most. He's last. Jesus is our message also because he's best. Let's look at, let's look at verse 19. It says that... Um, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Like poured out, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so what we see in Jesus is that like Jesus is not just a moral example. He didn't come and just live a good life. He didn't come just to, to, to show us the way of sacrifice. He didn't come just to be a good teacher, to give us some good rules to follow. Like he came as God. Like the fullness of God, it says, dwelled in him, lived in him, was present with him. Like he came to be with us. This is what makes him best. He showed up, y'all. Like he showed up. Like we were in prayers earlier this morning before the, before the services. We, were, uh, we pray every morning before everybody gets here. And one of the guys leading prayers threw out this question. He's like, hey, when you picture God, like what kind of throne do you see him sitting on? And I thought to myself, I see him sitting in a Yeti lawn chair around a fire pit because he came to be with us. This is the example we have of Jesus. He came to identify with us, to show us what God was like so that when we look in Jesus, we can know what God's like. Listen, we know what he thinks about tragedy. We know what he thinks about death. We know, knows what, he, we know what he thinks about the joy of childbirth. We know what he thinks about sin. We know what he thinks about celebrating those who've come back home to him. We know what God thinks because the fullness of God was present in Jesus. Like this fact can never escape us. He's best. He's timeless. He's best. He's everything our hearts have ever looked for. He's best. He didn't come. And, and when I think about him showing up, this, this quote always, always, always comes to mind. And you'll remember this from the movie Jerry Maguire. You remember Rod Tidwell played wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals? He's on a phone call with his agent, Jerry Maguire. And Jerry Maguire has one player to represent, his livelihood. And Rod Tidwell says, do you want to know the motto of my family? And Jerry's like, yeah, sure. And he says, show me the money. Show me the money. And this is the life that Jesus lived. He showed up for us to be with us. Jesus showed up. That's why he's the best. Everything we've ever, we'd ever want, we, we find in Jesus. Now, he didn't come. He didn't come to make us rich, even though we're rich in different ways than our bank accounts. He didn't come to make us wealthy and healthy and wise. And there's a heresy out there that would tell you that that's, if you're not experiencing that, then God's not working in your life. 
But he did come to show us what God was like. He did come to pick us up during times of trouble. He didn't know we'd go through difficult times. He didn't know we'd need joy that comes in the morning, a peace that passes understanding, that we'd need wisdom to make it through the day, that we'd face disappointments in life. And he showed up, and his way is best. Man, he's first, he's last, he's most, he's best. Jesus is best. And then he's must. He's a must. In verse 21 to 23, he talks about how we were alienated from God. We were hostile in mind. We were doing evil deeds. He's reconciled, right? He's brought us back to him. Everything that we've done that separated us from God, he has brought us back. He's reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And then it says this, notice in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. It's a must. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Not shifting from the hope. You see, our lives have been, have been bought at a price. And he's a must. He's the, the, he is the only card that we get to play. But check this out. He's the only card that we need to play. And what happens in lives and what can happen in churches that forget this is that secondary things become primary. Maybe some of you guys have attended a church that that happened. Secondary things become primary. So, for instance, this morning you walked in and some of you guys normally get coffee and you didn't have coffee. And you got really angry. We did that on purpose just to show you secondary and primary things. Not really. The coffee maker broke. Um, <laughs> But I thought it was a great illustration. Because <laughs> how many times do we get frustrated things that don't matter? Open-handed issues. Man, how, how many times the small things become big things when we should be, the major things should always be the major things. And the major things is what? Jesus is our message. Like this is what we focus on. Like if you're on a cruise ship, you know what people complain about? The beer not being cold enough. If you're on a battleship, you know what people complain about? Not having enough ammunition. Listen, we're a battleship. We've got to keep our eye on the ball. And one of the things I love about our church is you walk in the lobby and there's these big letters that say, elevate the name of Jesus. I think they're like 42 feet tall. And so it's just for us to be able to always keep our eye on the ball. It reminds me of uh, Vince Lombardi, potentially the greatest coach in NFL history. And every year he would start the season. It didn't matter if they just won the Super Bowl, the world championship, or if they didn't. He would stand in front of his players. He would hold up a football and he would say, this gentleman is a football. The major thing, the one message, the must that we have to hold on to. So why is Jesus our message? Because he's first, he's last, he's best, he's most, and he's must. How does that look? What does that look like for us? How do we live this out? You know, verse 15 has this one very simple phrase. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. So when we see Jesus, we see what God's like. He's the image of the invisible God. And we are called to be image bearers of God. We're called to, to, to be his image, to point to his message. So watch this. I got a couple of pictures of images. So here's this first one. Right? What comes to mind? Mickey Mouse, Disney World. What's the message? Where dreams come true. Where dreams come true. By this next one. Nike. What's the, what's the message? Just do it. Just do it. 
And this next one, what's the message? Christian chicken. No, <laughs> we didn't invent the chicken, just a chicken sandwich. Or, or maybe it's those two words, my pleasure. Now, there's an image and it conveys a message. Hey, what message is your life conveying? See, our lives are images of something and they convey a message. We're a certain kind of people. Like, what's the message of your life? You know, we, we, you may say like, I'm a, I'm a beach person. I'm a mountain person. I'm a shoe person. I'm a dog person. I'm a car person. I'm a bike person. I'm a rich person. I'm a broke person. You know, we, we have these ways we categorize ourselves. But if, but if people were to look at your life, like, what would they say the message of your life is? See, see the image, the message should be Jesus. Now, now I, I don't want to be, you know, uh, is inauthentic to think that everybody should just look at you and say, Jesus right there, that feels a little bit over the top, right? But people should be able to look at you and say, man, that's a loving person. Why? Because they're a Jesus person. That's a generous person. Why? Because they're a Jesus person. That's a kind person. Why? Because they're a Jesus person. Listen, my life says blank to people. How would, you, how would you fill that blank in? How would you want to fill that blank in today? And your life is a message. It is the image that you're projecting to people. And everybody has a message. You know, in closing today, what I want to do is I want to read um, the last few verses of this passage. But I want to do it in a little bit of a different translation. Um, because I feel like it just kind of captures and brings to life. Uh, some of the words that we've talked about today. Um, but at, at the end of Colossians, at the end of this particular chapter, uh, in chapter one, it says this. It says this mystery, just talking about the unveiling of Christ because he, had, he hadn't been on the scene. And now that he's come on the scene, this mystery has been revealed. It says it was kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know his rich and glorious secret inside and out. Regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing, the mystery in a nutshell is just this, Christ in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It is that simple. That's the substance of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic, Christ. No more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me, Christ. No more, no less. Like this is why Jesus is our message. Let me just explain it to you. Man, there's a God. Oh, and he's so good. And when you think about all the good things in your life, you need to realize they came from God. You know, your relationships. You know, if you're married, your marriage came from the Lord. Hey, your children, they came from God. Your job, your clothes, your car, man, your sense of purpose and satisfaction, your heartbeat, man, they came from God himself. But why is, why is the world in such chaos? It's because there's a problem and it's sin. And we've gone our own way. We wanted to be the terminating point of our lives. We wanted things to be about us. We thought we knew better for whatever reason. Maybe we were afraid. Maybe we just didn't trust God. But at the end of the day, man, we sinned. We were broken apart from God. And that, that's the story for all of us. 
Man, we were just broken from God. Oh, but then there's a solution, and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we find everything we're ever looking for. Jesus came to be with us so that he can reconcile us to himself. Jesus came so that you could have a life of value, so that you can have hope in those times when you felt hopeless, Man, that he could lift you up when you felt like you were worthless, that you could have an identity when you didn't know who you were. We find all of that in the person of Jesus. And then there's a response, and it's our lives. How could someone give their life for us and we just, and we don't give our life back? We want to give less than our lives. And it's everything. And it's your, it's, it's your finances. It's how you spend money. It's how you think about the world. It's how you vote. It's your work ethic. It's how you wake up in the morning. It is everything. This is the gospel. And this is why Jesus is our message. Because there is no other message. Everything else falls short. Nothing measures up to Jesus who is first, last, best, most. And he is a must. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. God, we're just grateful for the gospel today. And Lord, that sometimes we just need a good reminder of what it's about, who we are, that where our sermons are about, what our worship is about, what our conversations are about, what our spending decisions are about, that everything that Stone Creek is about is Jesus. And the only way that can happen is if all of us individually are, are pointing to Jesus, our lives are a message of Jesus. And so God, for things that seem to be too simple sometimes and not sophisticated enough, that we'd always just remember the clarity of what Paul wrote. No more, no less, it is Jesus today. You know, with our head bowed and just eyes closed, you know, at the end of every service, we just, most every service, we just want to give everybody an opportunity to just respond in the moment. Because we know we have people from all spiritual walks of life in our room every single Sunday. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond today. And again, it's very simple. If today's the day, you know you need to take that step. You need to surrender your life to follow Jesus, that you want him to come into your life to give you the hope that only he can give. I just want to lead you in a prayer today. If that's you today, I'm just going to lead you in a, in a brief prayer. And what makes this effective is, is the condition of your heart. And so as everyone in the room is just praying, dear God, I need a new life. I've lived life for me. I choose to follow Jesus today. I believe he's forgiven me of my sins and given me a new life. You know, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you know, as we, as, if that was you today, just one way we want to mark the moment. We don't want, we don't want this just to be a time where, where uh, you just come in and maybe something happened, maybe something did, and you don't mark the moment. So if that was you today, if you prayed with me in that prayer just then, I just want to give you a simple opportunity to raise your hand. And I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, Nobody's looking around. I just want you to raise your hand. Let's make eye contact. And it'll be a way for you today to mark the moment. If that was you today on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's awesome. God, just as a church that we'd never lose our first love. I'm just grateful for all that you've done. And God, that... 
man, you've changed so many lives and we've seen so many people come to know you and take steps and their lives are different because of what you've done. Thanks for the gospel. Thanks for the good news that Jesus came for us. Lord, help him to always be our message. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.